0: You folks sounded like you meant it this morning. Great songs, great time of worship. Thank you for that. And uh, great reminders in the hymns today of God's unceasing love. And uh, reminds me of a passage in First John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the payment. He paid the price for our sins beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, I want to just thank you for joining us this Sunday morning. I am so thankful that that COVID-19 restriction or lockdown or whatever you want to call it did not include religious services. And so we gather today and and Wayne leads us in a, a time of corporate prayer where he expresses what's on our hearts. We get to sing praises together. And I don't know about you, but, but I look forward to anticipate and need that in my walk with God. So thank you. Thank you for coming this morning. A patient who was from, recovering from laser eye surgery had a follow-up appointment with his surgeon. And the surgeon entered the examination room and announced, I have good news and bad news. Which would you like first? And the patient, without hesitation, replied, I'll take the good news first. At which time the surgeon responded, Well, you're about to get a new dog. <laughs> what? What? A seeing eye dog. (laughs) I too have good news and bad news this morning. The good news is that we're about to start a brand new series of messages. And the bad news is this series will be based on the Old Testament book of Hosea. And if you know anything about the book of Hosea, well let's just turn to the front of our Bibles. Turn the very front and turn in about five pages and you'll find the table of contents. Let's start there. And the Bible is divided into an Old Testament and New Testament. The first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is the law. Or the Pentateuch. Or in the Hebrew Bible, they're called the Torah. And these uh, lay out the law. And then we have 12 books that look at the history of Israel, the chosen people of God. Next, five books of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon. Five books called the Major Prophets, and then 12 books that make up the Minor Prophets, of which Hosea leads the pack. And they're minor, not because they're insignificant or don't have as much of a splash as the major prophets, but just merely because of the size of the book. They're smaller. And Hosea leads that list. And if you go across from Hosea, you'll find a page number there. And mine is 1269. Let's turn there in our Bibles to whatever page number Hosea is found and chapter 1. You may want to insert your ribbon there, or some kind of a bookmark, because we are going to be returning to this book over the next several weeks, and perhaps even months. As you find Hosea, you'll notice that the book, if you just want to flip through it, consists of 14 chapters. And the book can actually be divided even further into two major sections. Section 1 or part 1 includes chapters 1 through 3 and presents the story of Hosea's family. Let me just give you a heads up. It's a God-arranged story that becomes a, a powerful, living illustration of the message God wants Hosea to deliver to his people. And then part 2 consists of chapters 4 through 14 and presents several prophecies related to Israel's relationship with their God. My purpose this morning is just very simply to introduce you to the book of Hosea, give you some background information so you're kind of oriented ...to this Old Testament book, which often is found in the kind of the back of the closet. Out of sight and out of mind. These minor prophets are probably some of the most neglected passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And then secondly, I would like to establish our approach to this book... ...by considering three prerequisites or ground rules or perhaps attitudes as we begin this study. Think about it. Often our approach to something determines what we find. That's why first impressions are so important. Because we have these preconceived ideas that determine what we will find. So our approach is significant. And hopefully I can set us up for success as we dive into this study of the book of Hosea. And success would be um, to come under the transformational power of this part of God's holy word. Allow me to read chapter 1, and then we'll come back and fill in some more background information before we begin the study. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading from God's Word. Hosea chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Biri, or Beri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the second, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. So when, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her lo I would, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, And deliver them by the Lord their God. And I will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or outnumbered, and in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader. And they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 2, verse 1. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word a clear and compelling disclosure of your person, plans, purposes, and perspectives. We thank you specifically this morning for Hosea's record of your interactions with your chosen Old Testament people, the Israelites. Your word informs us that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the people of God, like us, may be adequate and equipped for every good work. We're excited for this opportunity to study a book of the Bible that is often stored in the back of our closet, so to speak. Out of sight and as a result, often out of mind. Would you honor our efforts over the next Several weeks as we give our attention to this more obscure section of our Old Testament scriptures. Enlighten us and use these ancient words to continue the transformation process in each of our lives. We want to become more like Jesus, Father. Both individually and collectively. By the power of your spirit and for your glory and our good, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a new series requires a new master slide. and Here it is. You can see the storm clouds gathering in the background. The gospel according to Hosea, responding to God's unrequited love. I've called it the gospel according to Hosea because there is good news here. Although Hosea's message is confrontational, it is, off, it is ultimately offering a message of hope and deliverance and reconciliation. God is taking the initiative to call his people back to, to himself, to within a relationship with him, to leave their sins of, and spiritual adultery behind and walk with him, once again, obeying the law. Ultimately, this book is an expression of love and loyalty for a completely undeserving people. It can leave us shaking our heads in wonderment. Miriam Webster's defines unrequited as not reciprocated or returned in kind. God's love was being spurned. Lamentations three, verse twenty two and twenty three reads The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions they never fail, never, never. They are new brand new, every morning. And so we sing, great is your faithfulness. This loving kindness, compassion, faithfulness, they're on full display in the book of Hosea. And his people, the Israelites, have basically turned And walked away. Can you imagine? They walked away. Into spiritual. Adultery. The gospel according to Hosea. Good news. Responding to God's unrequited love. Look again at Hosea chapter 1 verse 1. the word of the lord which came to hosea the son of birai so right out of the gate we're introduced to the two major characters in the book of hosea they're identified for us actually it may be more accurate to allow the lord to be the lead character and hosea kind of the co-star of this act just skim through the first chapter for a moment and notice the references to the Lord or to the pronouns that are referring to, used to refer to him. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord. Verse 2. When the Lord, the Lord said to Hosea. End of the verse. Forsaking the Lord. Verse 4. The Lord said to him. And then within the verse itself, I will punish the house of Jehu. I will put an end to the kingdom. And so on through the chapter. God is first and foremost a primary focus of the book of Hosea. Hosea, on the other hand, is a prophet. A spokesperson for God. He's delivering the mail, so to speak. Delivering God's message to his people. And then there are other secondary characters as well. We've covered them, been mentioned even in this first chapter. Gomer, Hosea's wife. What a name for a wife. That was my brother's nickname when we were kids. Hey, Gomer. But not only is she a got a weird name but she's also a prostitute a prostitute named Gomer for a wife and then there are three children and then there is Israel also referred to as Ephraim and Judah those are not individuals those are actually nations and that brings us to the historical setting that into which Hosea is speaking When did the Israelites become a nation? At Mount Sinai, right? When Moses received the law from God himself. Remember what the Israelites were doing when Moses was up the mountain receiving those that law? Been gone for such a long time, 40 days, and God tapped Moses and said, You better get down the mountain. They're having a party down there. What were they doing? Here God has just delivered them from Egyptian bondage, a supernatural deliverance, through the Red Sea. They get to a mountain. Moses goes up to get this law that will create a nation of two million people. And they're making a golden calf to worship because he's taking too long. Making an idol. Unbelievable. God had just miraculously delivered them. That law of God would define them as a nation. After which they received it, Moses led them through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. A land that God had promised to their ancestors would be theirs someday. And not only did he lead them to the edge, he did it twice. But then Moses himself was not allowed to enter the land And following Moses was a God-ordained leader by the name of Joshua who led them into the land and overtook it. He led the Israelites so that they could occupy this new promised land, sort of. Because they didn't really occupy it completely. They allowed those pagan nations to stay amongst them. But they did divide it up amongst the 12 tribes. Instead of driving out the former inhabitants, they allowed them to mingle with them. And as a result, sure enough, the Israelites began to live like they were living prior to the Israelites' arrival. And so Israel insisted on a king. And first it was King Saul... And then King David, and finally King Solomon. At the end of King Solomon's rulership, the kingdom was handed over to his son, and it eventually was divided into a northern and southern kingdom. Ten tribes in the north made up Israel, or Ephraim, and then two tribes in the south were named Judah, or the southern kingdom. Notice the rest of verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Beri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, that's the two tribes, the two southern, the, the two tribes that belonged or made up the southern kingdom, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Johash, king of Israel, the ten northern tribes Hosea's message is primarily to the northern tribes that's where he lived his predecessor was the prophet Amos and so we know and his uh, contemporaries were preaching to the southern tribes were Isaiah and Micah so this is all during this time when Micah or when Hosea was preaching to the northern tribes. It helps to understand the time frame of when this is happening. Jeroboam was a, the second was a, under his leadership, the northern tribes increased in size and grew to be great wealth grew to to have great wealth. So Isaiah began ministering at the very end of Jeroboam's rule. Great material prosperity and military success had been part of Israel's story in most recent days. You know, God's people generally do not do well in these kinds of surroundings. When things become prosperous and, and comfortable, It's not the best time for God's people, even today. Agur's prayer in Proverbs 30 is a great, well, it's honorable, and it's understandable too. We know that from our own perspective. Here's his prayer. Two things I ask of you, God. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deceptions and lies far from me. Give me, the second request, give me neither poverty nor riches. Why? Feed me with the food that is my portion, so that I'll not be full and deny you and say, Who needs the Lord? Or that I not become in want and steal and profane the name of our our Lord. So for 40. 45 years, Hosea faithfully lived and proclaimed the Lord's message to the people living in a prosperous Israel and even beyond. Beloved, our own times reflect similar circumstances. It's about 500 years after the Israelites had entered the promised land, crossed that river Jordan and began to conquer this land that God had promised would be theirs. And 700 years before the Messiah would arrive, Hosea delivers these messages, his message of warning, to the northern tribe of Israel. Unfortunately, Israel, the northern kingdom, would fall to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And Judah, the two tribes to the south, but 130 years later to the Babylonians. So what was the purpose of Hosea's ministry? Look back at the end of verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, And have children of harlotry? For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. Say, his ministry was to wake up the Israelites from their flagrant harlotry. Synonyms for flagrant would be egregious, capital, glaring, gross, rank harlotry. It's despicable. It's the kind of harlotry that would turn your stomach, the kind of sins that they were involved in. Todd Murray, you'll remember, was here a little over a year ago for our family family life seminars in March. He, in his commentary with Dr. George Zimmick, writes, the primary message that Hosea proclaimed both in the pageant of his marriage and the passion of his prophecies, was not how Israel ought to demonstrate God-like love toward people who sin against them, but rather how Israel and Judah were guilty of committing gross relational atrocities against God. Hosea's prophecies were not chiefly lessons on how to love others but rather robust reminders about how to love God. And so over the next several weeks, you and I are going to be exposed to material that will help us know and develop our love for God. I trust this information is helpful as we get ready to spend and focus on the book of Hosea, the gospel according to Hosea. Responding to God's unrequited love. Let's establish our approach with three kind of guiding preparations or, or principles, things that I'd like to, to preoccupy our minds as we come to this text. Number one, be prepared to listen to the bad news first. Unlike that surgeon good news, bad news announcement. Hosea does not give us the opportunity to say which we would prefer first. This is an Old Testament prophet, and those prophets come with a message that is not congratulations or pats on the back, but it's usually very confrontational. The prophetic cycle, in fact, goes something like this. Number one, there will be a prophecy of judgment coming. You're steeped in your sin and now God is proclaiming that you will be judged for that sin. The second stage will be in the prophecy will be a warning. And then the third, if you repent, turn from your sinful ways and ask God for forgiveness, he would perhaps postpone or even turn away from the coming judgment That he promised he would bring. It's an expression of his mercy. That's the the message that these Old Testament prophets would bring to the people of Israel. And by that I mean the whole nation of Israel. Both northern and southern kingdoms. Let me ask you, how do you typically respond to confrontation? Defend, get defensive, series of denials, perhaps eliminate the messenger. Beloved, let's just agree at the outset. We are a sinful people who are going to wrestle with the reality of our sinfulness for the rest of our lives. Because of Adam and Eve's original sin, you and I are born with sin natures that infects our entire being and influences all that we do. Even as believers, we cannot escape the influence of that sin nature. It does no no longer have mastery over us, but it is still Very active in our lives. We're still housed in these bodies of flesh with their sinful habits. And as a result, we suffer from a sin hangover. Left to ourselves, we will always drift away from God. We will never drift toward God. Any movement toward God or to walk with God will be the result of intentional, disciplined behavior. The development of habits that will cause us to have a new relationship with Him. And that renewing happens day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year for the remaining years of our lives. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says it quite simply, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David wasn't saying that his mom had sinned in having him. It's just that he has this sin nature within him. Upon conception, Isaiah 53, 6, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has, what? Caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. But prior to that, this sin has dominant influence in our lives. Romans chapter 3, verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? Paul is talking Jew and Gentile, or Jew and pagan, as they saw it in those days. Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks or pagans are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 really gets to the heart of the matter. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You and I, everyone who's ever born needs a heart transplant that only God can do. Total depravity does not mean that we are as sinful as we can possibly be. It does not mean that. But what it does mean is that sin has contaminated every part of us from top to bottom. Our nature's and all that we do are tainted by sin. Folks, it's going to be a struggle for us. I think we saw that in the end of the our study of Ephesians. We are on a spiritual battlefield. This world will present continual temptation and potential distractions as we long as long as we're in the flesh. First John chapter two, verses fifteen and sixteen. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Does all that make sense to you? We're in trouble as a people. And our only hope is a relationship a dynamic relationship with God. Can I suggest that we cling? We absolutely can't cling to Luke chapter seven verse forty-seven, and I find myself turning here often, where Jesus is speaking. He says, "For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much." And this is a section that. I think often about. For, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. It's to our advantage to allow the bad news of the Christian life to fully impact us. So then, we can respond in love, greater love, to the one who saved us. The Christian life always begins with bad news. I, as we study this book of Hosea, we are going to be confronted with two really common unbeliefs. Check your belief system with this. Number one, I don't really believe that I am as bad as the Bible says I am. That's a common unbelief. We don't really believe that. My goodness, look at this guy over here. He's much worse than I am. We compare ourselves amongst ourselves and we all become fools. Paul says... I don't believe that I am as bad as the Bible says I am. we got to deal with that. And we're going to be confronted with that again and again in the book of Hosea. Number two, I don't believe that God is really as good and faithful as the Bible claims he is. I don't believe that. Again, Hosea Is going to help us to overcome those kind of common basic unbeliefs in our lives. Be great. Be prepared to listen to the bad news first. Secondly, be prepared to learn from the mistakes of others. Keep your finger in Hosea because we'll have a hard time finding it if we don't, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. beginning at verse 1, 1 Corinthians. For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. So he's referring back to the, going through the Red Sea, escape from Egypt. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. All those advantages. God gave them. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock. Which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless with most of them. God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. Underline that. Examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did. And were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them. As an example. Underlined. And they were written for our instruction. Upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands. Take heed that he does not fall. The Apostle Paul is pointing back to Israel's history and telling these Corinthian believers and by extension you and I this morning to learn from Israel's mistakes. Can I just say we need to be really careful as we start going through the book of Hosea who we choose to identify with. We will be tempted to identify with with God and Hosea. We live in a culture that celebrates victimization. We're all victims, right? As we approach the book of Hosea, it will be easy for us to identify with Hosea and God. I'm sure all of us at one time or another in our lives have reached out and tried to demonstrate love for other people, and, and been dissed. We've taken the initiative and have been left feeling underappreciated, taken advantage of, or perhaps even rejected completely. We've experienced unrequited love, no question. We live in a broken world. Their kids, perhaps with a spouse, the betrayal of a friend, the disappointment of a church family, all possibilities. But if your approach remains there, we will have missed the major point of the book of Hosea. Let him who thinks he is not like Gomer or Israel take heed lest we fall. This book can address the spiritual adultery in your life and in mine. Be prepared to listen to the bad news first and be prepared to learn from the mistakes of others. Thirdly, be prepared to love God above all others. And thank you, Margaret and team, for Singing as we did this morning. What a great um, introduction to the book of Hosea. Singing of God's great love. Nothing else. The loyal love of God, if nothing else, the loyal love of God is on full display throughout Israel's history. Like, think about it. It's so easy for us to say, what's wrong with those people? It's just so obvious Their preservation as a nation to this very day continues to defy all odds. And yet God's loyal love has and continues to preserve the nation of Israel. As believers, we too have become recipients of this same loyal love. Completely undeserved and never retracted. Always accessible if we are willing to access it. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, the Apostle Paul has one of those remarkable expressions that we turn to often as believers. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is bound by a covenant love to his people. You Know the difference between a covenant and a contract? Cynthia and I have been meeting with um, Victoria and Andy as they prepare for their wedding next month. And this past week we were looking at specifically focused on the wedding vows that they're going to exchange on that day. And here's a definition of the difference between a marriage contract, which is a civil union, and a covenant before God. With a contract, if the one agreeing party does something in violation of the contract, then it is null and void. It's considered broken, the contract. The whole contract becomes null and void. Basically, the signers of a contract agree to hold up their ends of the contract as long as the other signators hold up theirs too. That's a contract. With a covenant, both parties agree to hold up their ends regardless of what the other party keeps their part of the agreement. A violation of the covenant by one party does not matter as far as the other party's responsibility to continue to do what they have agreed to do. God has made a covenant with us. It's a covenant of love. Nothing we can do to deserve it or earn it. His love is based on a covenant. And he's going to give 100% Of his love regardless of your performance or mine the gospel according to Hosea responding to God's unrequited love so this week as we continue to prepare to study the book of Hosea I have a homework assignment if you picked up uh, the sermon notes you'll find on the bottom of the page this week, identify the blank in your life by answering the following. This week, identify the idols in your life by answering the following. You see, like, not, not like the northern tribes of Israel. We're probably not going to make carved images and, and run after Baal or some foreign god. But we still have idols in our lives. Here's how to determine them. For what am I willing to sin in order to get? That's a good question. Think about that. For what are you willing to sin in order to get it? Secondly, for what, if I do not get it, am I willing to sin? If you want it really bad, and somebody's blocking your way, or the circumstances aren't lining up, what happens inside, or even on the outside? You're going to take somebody out in order to get what you want? For what, if I do not get it, am I willing to sin? That's an idol. And then, of course, thirdly, when under pressure, when you're really facing it, weighted down, gun to your head, to whom or to what do you turn for? Relief. That's an idol in your life. And think about it. Just don't even... Think about the possibilities of all those idols that the, offer, that the world offers. Those are the things that we're going to come face to face with and begin to deal with as we learn from the example of this northern kingdom that Hosea Hosea, Hosea has come to prophesy against. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thrilled to be together this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to Sing praises together, pray together, join our hearts and minds, and then to hear from your word. Would you allow this word to continue to resonate in our hearts and minds in the week ahead, weeks ahead? And specifically this week, as we contemplate these questions, begin to identify areas in our lives where we need to do business with you and take next steps in the transformational process. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. Help us not to become defensive or dismissive but to embrace this opportunity. And with your help depending on the power of the Holy Spirit who resides within us would you continue the transformation process. Help us to put ourselves in places develop habits and interact with people who will help us to invite your transforming work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.